We are Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. Thank you, Matt. I feel honored and excited and a little bit nervous to bring the word. And I just want to say that, Jesus, I'm laying all of that down to you. And whatever we're bringing in, good or bad, whatever, just lay it down so that we can make room for the Lord to come in and be the only thing. So some of you might know that back in 2015, I moved to the Middle East to work with an aid organization. And we were providing relief for refugees who were fleeing the war in Syria. And just as a little reminder, the war in Syria has been going on now for eight years. It is still happening. Left half a million people dead so far, and half of Syria's population, 13 million people, have been displaced. So I moved to Beirut, Lebanon, which is right next door to Syria. And while I was living there, my, my best friend was a Syrian guy. He's a computer science major. He loved to make Arab history documentaries. He introduced me to backgammon and Arabic coffee. The dude is just hilarious in Arabic and in English. So funny, so smart, such a nice guy. And he was always really honest about what was going on in Syria. And the year before I met Riyadh, he actually had a free ticket to go study in Germany. And at the same time, he had just gotten a full ride to a school right here in Chicago. But get this, he actually decided to stay in Syria to become a pastor. He could be living up in Wicker Park. He could be attending this church. He could be preaching here right now instead of me. But he decided to stay in a war zone because he knew that the Lord wanted to use him there. For pastors, Syrian Protestant pastors like Riyadh, the deal was go to Beirut, study for a few years, then go back to Syria and serve wherever the church there needs you, whether it's safe or not. His church was essentially asking him, are you willing to lay down your wants and your needs, maybe even your life, to serve the church? And I wrote Riyadh's answer in my journal right after he told me I was so struck by what he said. He said, of course. I am your son, and I know that God is with me wherever I go. And Riyadh just graduated a couple months ago. I just heard this week he is serving in a church in Aleppo, a place where the war is, is definitely still going on. And when I think back to my time working with the refugees, I, I think of these, some Syrian priests that I met, and they would cross the border into Syria every single week to bring supplies. I think of a little boy that I met in a Nairobi slum, and he told me that he was the richest kid in the world because he had Jesus. I think of this Palestinian Christian who had cancer. He was living in a little shack in a refugee camp, and he told me that he had everything he needed because the Lord was protecting him. I still do. I kind of flinch when I think about those stories, when I think about what Riyadh said. Well, he says, of course, I'm your son, and God is with me wherever I go. What does it look like to live like that? To know that God is with us and enough at all times. We're going through a series called Testify, revealing the character and the nature of God. And today I have the honor to show you something that Riyadh and so many of my Christian refugee friends already know. We're asking God today to reveal himself as the God who is all-sufficient. And so let's just start with a simple question. 
Do you have what you need? Do you have what you need? Many of us will say that God is all-sufficient, but do we, do we believe that? Maybe there are people here who cannot say it or won't say it because don't our circumstances demonstrate that we have needs that Christ isn't meeting? Or if we say that Jesus is enough, then do we have to recognize that nothing else can be? I'm going to say that that is the truth that we need. And I pray that God helps us receive it, the truth that God is all-sufficient and that Christ is enough. And just to, just to prepare you, we, we might touch on some kind of tender places today. So I pray that we think deeply, we think sensitively about all of this. We might have to redefine what we mean by need. Our culture, a lot of, many Christians don't know how to use that word in light of the gospel. And our roadmap today is, is three steps. The first one is God sufficient for our physical needs? Is God all sufficient for our spiritual needs? And then what about when it doesn't seem like my needs are being met? Physical needs, spiritual needs, we'll go through those kind of quickly, then we'll dig into this tough question. What about when it seems like my needs aren't being met? And to begin, I would love it if you would open your Bibles to John 4, verse well, and maybe you've heard this story before, maybe you've heard it a million times, but Holy Spirit, I pray that we would hear it today at a depth that we never have. So John 4, verse 4. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a, a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. May God bless his word to us. So in light of that passage, the first thing I want to ask is, is God sufficient for our physical needs? And a question before that is, what do we need? What do we need? There's a popular way of thinking about this called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And Maslow was a psychologist. He created this this pyramid to kind of explain what we need and the order in which we need them. For psychologists in the room, and I know Maslow said, we have fundamental needs like food and water before we can worry too much about things like security and having good relationships. And then we need those things before we can concern ourselves too much with things like beauty and our personal growth. 
And I think that the model makes sense. Uh, when I was working in the Middle East, I worked with some Christian organizations, and we wanted to share the gospel. And we knew that that would usually be easier when the people we were working with weren't starving and weren't homeless. So we worked to address some of those needs, and sometimes practicing the gospel led to preaching the gospel. So yes, we, we need physical things. Food matters. Money does matter. Security matters. And this bears out in the Bible, too. Jesus concerned himself with people's material needs. Jesus healed bodies. Jesus provided food. What's more, we see that Jesus, even though he was fully God, he had physical needs, too. In our passage, look at, look at verse 6. Jesus was tired. Verse 7, Jesus was thirsty. Verse 8, Jesus and his disciples needed food, and Jesus needed security. Verse 9 says that Jews and Samaritans did not particularly like each other. They didn't feel particularly comfortable in each other's neighborhoods. And actually, a lot of Jews would, would cross the Jordan River twice to go around Samaria. But Jesus does not do that. Jesus goes right through. He rises above the ethnic prejudice of his day. The key thing for us here to see is that God met Jesus' needs. God gave Jesus rest. He gave him water. He gave him food and money to buy it. And God gave Jesus security where others would have felt insecure. And if God gave these things to Jesus 2,000 years ago, he can give them to you today because he has not changed. And so this is super basic, but I want to tell you not only from science, but way more importantly from Scripture, that we all have important. God sees those needs, and God is all sufficient needs. Sometimes God meets natural needs in a supernatural way. There's a story, the very front of the Bible, where God's people, they're, they're stuck in a desert, and they're very hungry. And what does God do? God sends water pouring out of a rock. God sends manna and quail, this bread and this bird, literally raining from the sky for 40 years. Talk about God meeting needs. And then way to the right in the Bible, there's a cool story where Jesus', Jesus followers want to tell the crowds who are following Jesus, they want to tell them, you go into town and you buy yourself some food. And Jesus says, no, you, got, you guys feed them. Jesus knows that his disciples cannot do this in and of themselves. They are, they're insufficient. But Jesus also knows that his Father is all-sufficient. So after giving thanks, Jesus breaks the bread. He, he turns the, the five loaves of bread and the two fish into a feast. And one thing that I do want you to see in that story, God doesn't provide just enough. Jesus provides so much more than, more than enough. There were actually 12 basketfuls of food left over. That is amazing. And I know that people in this church have experienced that. Who here has felt God's healing power? Who here has received that out-of-nowhere promotion, that out-of-nowhere cash? God loves to provide in those ways, and that is pure grace. And I think, I think at least as often, maybe more, often God likes to show his all-sufficiency through people. When I was living in Lebanon, we prayed, and we also served in schools and clinics and orphanages. When you see the person sitting next to you has a need, absolutely always bring that need to God. And sometimes you can meet the need. Sometimes you can be the answer to your neighbor's prayer. 
The Bible says God has prepared and proactively looking for ways to meet our neighbor's need. In our passage, there's nothing supernatural about Jacob's well. It's a well. And Jesus doesn't ask God to draw the water. Jesus asks the woman, standing right in front of him, please draw the water. And the story of the feeding of the 5,000, absolutely, God performed an incredible and amazing miracle. And he also uses a little boy just to give up his snack. He uses his disciples to handle the logistics. And the point is this. If you have outstanding physical needs, I want to encourage you that God is beyond sufficient to meet them. And at the same time, if you have everything you could possibly want, I I do want to remind you that every good and perfect gift is from God. Not from your own strength, not from your own effort, not from your own good planning, although that, that is great. That is awesome. But it's from God's goodness. So if God gave food and water and rest and security to, his, to Jesus and to his people all through history, he is generous and he is capable to meet your needs today because he is all-sufficient. The second question then that I want to ask is, is God all-sufficient for our spiritual needs? If we look back at Maslow, we'll see that spiritual needs are all the way up at the top, so high that actually when Maslow was first creating this this pyramid, he didn't include the spiritual needs. He didn't include what he ended up calling transcendence. And by transcendence, Maslow meant not only that we help ourselves reach our full potential, but that we help other people freely reach their full potential. And Christians, like transcendence in a Christian sense, we might mean some of that. But in a Christian sense more, transcendence is experiencing what is outside of ourselves. It is living in and receiving from a holy God. Holy meaning set apart. There are things like forgiveness. We need to be forgiven. Things like being washed clean, being made right with God. Things like walking and living in the spirit. True transcendence, our ultimate spiritual need is the grace to live eternally with God, which I I will add is also a physical reality. We will be raised bodily. In our passage, Jesus shows us that our spiritual needs are actually the first thing we should raise with God. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about this life with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul uses the same gift of God language in Romans 6 when he says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life. It's being filled with that living water, with his Holy Spirit. And then how are these spiritual needs met? Is Is this working? If you can hear me, I'd stick with this. Sorry, guys. God is all sufficient. He's making this work. We're good. (laughs) That was serious. That's totally serious. The gift of God is eternal life. Let me know if you guys want to use the mic. That's all good. And then how are these spiritual needs met? In the world, we sometimes look to ourselves, or we look to others, or we look to our job, or to money, or to our personal goals to meet our needs. 
to give us peace, to give us purpose. We try to meet our spiritual needs with physical things. If we were to read on in our story, we would, we would actually see that the woman at the well, she was looking to relationships with men to meet her needs. But all of those things, one way or another, all of them eventually Look at verse 13. Whoever drinks the water, this is Jesus talking, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Jesus says he is the one who satisfies these needs. When the apostle Peter, a follower of Jesus, he was writing some letters to some churches in Turkey, and literally his first words after the greeting are, Jesus, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The people who thought that they had nothing actually had all things. What does that look like? What can that look like for us? It means we can walk in the Spirit. It means he is guiding us. It means he he can convict us when we sin. It means he is empowering and equipping us. It means he is pointing us to Jesus. He is granting us revelation and relationship and intimacy with God. So truly and very, very practically, we can have a peace and a freedom that the rest of the world does not understand. And then how? How does Jesus do this? How, of all people, can Jesus do this? It's because of the gospel. It's because Jesus died for us and then was raised so we could be reconciled to him. It's because in Colossians 1, it says Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is superior. He is above. He is the firstborn over all things. There's a band that my wife really likes called the Lone Bellow. And they have this pretty incredible lyric. And the lyric says... Nothing we need ever dies. Nothing we need ever dies. And when I hear that, I'm thinking resurrection. I'm thinking Jesus. Do you know the resurrected one? When Peter was writing to those churches in Turkey, he was reassuring people of their salvation. That was a large portion of the letter. And that is for us too. That if you know God, if you know Jesus, the resurrected, if you know him... It means you have everything that you need. So God doesn't just give living water that will make you kind of joyful and, oh, I feel some peace. He gives you the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and will raise you too. Verse 13 again, he gives you living water that wells up inside you so that you'll never be spiritually thirsty again. The living water that our God gives brings eternal life. Not life for a long time, not life in an apartment, a nice apartment on Michigan Avenue, but eternal life with him forever. Our God is all-sufficient and so much more. So God is all-sufficient for our material needs and God is all-sufficient for our spiritual needs. And now here's where I really do want to kind of dig in. And Spirit, I just pray that you would help us to hear this to receive it from you, not from me, from you. What about when it doesn't feel like my needs are being met? And I'm going to be so bold as to say that we have all been there and that some of us, maybe many of us, are there right now where maybe you, even, maybe you believe in Jesus. Maybe you have the Spirit, but we feel like, I don't have what I need. Is God all-sufficient for the person who is starving? 
for the person who is unemployed, for the person who is single but really wanting to be married, or grieving loss, or depressed, or anxious. We've all lost things. There are things that we want, things that we think we need, that maybe we do need, that we don't have. And I can think of several of those things in my own life, but for me, I do. I go back to these refugee kids whose most basic, they're, just, they're begging in the street. Most basic fundamental needs are not being met, and they're not hypotheticals. I'm sure many of you have, have encountered these things before, but I've seen people who are literally going to die because seen deadly poverty. And sometimes it can be easy to say, God will provide and he meets all the needs of his children, and to that I say yes and amen and it's not always that simple because there, this is hard, but there are Christians. There are Christians who are full of faith, who pray for food and water, and then they die of drought. And there, there just are. There just are these people. So how does that work? Because there is, a, there is a good answer. Apart from Riyadh, my other best friend when I was living in Lebanon was a Syrian girl, and I'll call her Mariam she was from a little Christian town outside of Damascus, and we were really close. We hit it off. I helped her with her English. She helped me a ton with my Arabic. Still no good at it, but she helped me. We played hours and hours of ping pong. Yeah, we, we were close. And the closer we got, the more I came to see just how difficult her situation was. Her town back in Syria was occupied by government tanks. There were snipers. Um, rebel snipers all along the road leading to Damascus. ISIS, literal ISIS, was camped on the hill behind her house so close that her father could not work his farm. They had no electricity, had no internet. The water came on, she said, three times a week at most. Her brother, who was about my age, he couldn't go to school because the road was too dangerous. He was always in danger of being conscripted into the army and her sister's husband was disappeared at the start of the war, and they, they don't know, he might have been killed, he might have, been, he might have taken the boats to Europe, but he left Mariam's niece without a father. And she was depressed. And she would say things to me, she would say like, I feel nothing. Even in Arabic, I can't explain how I feel. And I met people every day with stories like this, and almost always, I was able to kind of compartment. And it was different for me because it was personal. And after about six months of knowing her, being close friends, she came to me one night and she asked me if I trusted her. I told her that I did, but I knew what was coming. I, I, just, I just knew, and I was afraid of it. And I'd been afraid of it in the way that you fear hearing words that you know you don't have an answer to. And she looked at me and there was this shame in her eyes and she asked me if I could give her the money that her family needed to get out of Syria. And it was a big, it was a big number. I'd heard the numbers before. They weren't made up. Syrians, all Syrians knew. This is how much it costs to go to Europe. This is how much it costs to go to Canada. And my heart, it just sank we could see it in each other's faces. There was this embarrassment. There was this insufficiency. And I looked at her and I told her that I needed to pray about it. 
which I, I, I did, and I was going to, but I, I also knew, I already knew the answer. I already knew that I couldn't save her. And in that moment, and for weeks after that, I did, I felt this painful inadequacy. Mariam was physically defeated. She was depressed. She, she was hopeless. And I felt spiritually defeated. I felt weak, felt selfish. I still, I still sometimes wrestle with, did I fail? Did I sin? I'm literally in this country to meet people's physical needs. And here's the clearest example right in front of my face, one of my best friends, of how I can't do it. Or maybe won't, because maybe I could. Maybe I just wasn't committed enough. Or maybe I wasn't strong enough. And I tried to rationalize my decision away. I tried to justify it, and I felt so and I felt guilty and ashamed. And we were both broken, and nothing was the same between Mariam and I ever again after that. And we both had to cry out to God because I couldn't meet her needs. I couldn't meet my own needs. And for a long time, I lived with this kind of low-level fear that I was going to get on Facebook or I was going to get on WhatsApp and find out that she or her sister or her niece had been killed and just thinking, what would that do to my conscience? And the reason I tell that really painful story is to ask how in all of that was God all-sufficient? Because he was. And here are a few keys that I had to lean on to recognize God's all-sufficiency in our, in my, in our insufficiency. The first thing is to trust the word. Trust what the Bible says and also recognize what it doesn't say. Jesus promises us salvation. He promises us his spirit when we come to him. He doesn't promise that we'll never be hungry or that we'll never be unemployed or that we'll never be persecuted. We need to map our experience onto God's word and not God's word onto our experience. Loving Jesus does not mean that all of your needs will disappear. But I will tell you that it changes how we look at those needs. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. The fact that there are starving people in the world who might never have enough food does not point to Jesus' inadequacy. It points to the brokenness of our world and our total dependence on God. You are allowed to desire you're even allowed to feel pain. You were created to need. And that does not mean that you're not finding your contentment in Jesus. The challenge and the call is to recognize and to trust that actually counted all loss. And not just to trust that, but to experience it daily walking in the Spirit. And a major way that we do that is by trusting the Word. Second thing is to look at Jesus and His church. We need to look at our best examples. Who, who in history had the most of Jesus? In our church, we say all of Jesus for everyone. This, I, I'm saying this is not a trick question. Who had the most of Jesus? <laughs> I, for the sake of what I'm saying here, I'm going to say that Jesus had the most of Jesus. Jesus had all of himself. And yet, he still got hungry. He still said he had no place to lay his head. 
He still was let down by his friends. He still had needs that were not met, at least not in a recognizable way, not in the timing in the way that we might expect. And then look at his disciples. These people were closer to Jesus than anyone else who ever lived, at least like physically, approximately closer. And what happened to them? Every single one of them was killed or exiled. One was exiled. The people who understood Christ's all-sufficiency best all died for him. What can we learn from that? What does that mean for us? One thing that it means is that we cannot equate God's all-sufficiency with our lives being comfortable. There's a story where, where the devil comes to tempt Jesus, and when the devil asked Jesus to turn stones into bread, Jesus refused because he had a vision for his provision. Jesus knew that his provision was from his Father. In Mark 10, Jesus says that if you follow him, you might not have all of your comforts satisfied, but in the present age, right now, you will have what Matt said earlier, you will have brothers and sisters. You will have mothers and children and fields and persecutions. And in the age to come, you will have eternal life. So let's trust the word. Let's look to... And third, Maslow said that your physiological needs have to be met before your higher level needs can be met. But I'm going to tell you that that is not the Christian worldview. And here's why. In the Christian worldview, we must have Jesus, our ultimate need, if we're going to have our other needs met forever. I'll say that again. In the Christian worldview, we must have Jesus, our ultimate need, if we're going to have our other needs met forever. And a, a little twist on that, that if, you don't have, if we don't have Jesus, actually we're, we're not even getting our most basic fundamental need of survival met because the Bible says we are spiritually dead. Now this goes against everything that our culture will say. In the kingdom, we flip Maslow's hierarchy on its head, Maslow's pyramid on its head. The Bible says Jesus is not our final need, the one we get after we've gotten everything else. Jesus is our first need, the source and the sufficiency of everything else. It's through him that we get everything else. Jesus says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or another way, what good is it if all my earthly needs are met, but I don't have Jesus, and I wind up outside the kingdom? Now, let's try this. If Christ is not all-sufficient, then he is insufficient. But if he is all-sufficient, then he is the only thing we need. And it's not God is all-sufficient. As long as I stay middle class and relatively healthy and married and all that awesome stuff. I want to say that that's kind of a, a modern Western idea. Riyadh and Mariam, most of my Christian friends in the Middle East do not think this way. They know that God being all-sufficient means what, what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 12, when he's talking about Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient that our needs matter. We're not, just we're not just spiritual beings. We are physical and emotional and relational. And we have real needs and wants, and those matter to God. But all of this stuff, all the all things come directly from this, from Jesus. And none of the all things 
can matter, or at least will definitely not last beyond your earthly life without, without this, without our ultimate spiritual need, Jesus. Because if you don't have Christ, you've lost all things. But if you have Christ, you have gained all things. Our need of living water is so much greater than our need of well water. And after saying all that, even I feel it. That feels like it can be heavy, especially if you're in a hard season. And you might say, Griffin, your life, maybe your life is great and you can say this. It's easy for you. And I'm going to say, in any season, test me when my life is tough. Ask me, this is what I should still be thinking. This is what I, because of God, I am able to think. I want to tell you that this is more than just words. This is more than just a religious spirit. This is more than just high theology. It is a different way of walking and functioning in the world, and it is available to you. It is possible to live fully satisfied now. Jesus said that. Jesus did that because he had intimacy with the giver of all things, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit with that true everlasting joy, that true peace, and that is available to you. Knowing that Christ is enough puts us on a separate plane of existence than the rest of the world. Christ being enough doesn't necessarily mean that your life will be awesome in the way that the world defines awesome, though it totally might be, and we praise God for that. Christ being enough means that I trust and I rejoice in him. It means that you can be sick and satisfied. You can be in pain and satisfied. You can be on death's doorstep and satisfied. The Psalms, this big book in the middle of the Bible, the Psalms talk, uh, it's written by a lot of guys who are often hunted, people who are hopeless. And in the same breath that they talk about those things, they also say, God, you are my deliverer, and you are my provider, and you are my strong tower. And they don't say, God, you will be those things once you get me out of here. They say, God, you are right now in the midst of this trial. And that is amazing. That is an overcoming faith. I want to say that is experiencing God deeply. Heavenly thinking in the now. Christ being enough means my eternal life is sure. But also that I can be satisfied in my earthly life, even in the waiting. We can actually go from glory to glory. Look at Paul. Again, Paul was lashed, he was beaten, he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. And look at what he says from prison. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What is that secret? What's the secret that Paul knew to being content in any and every situation? It is not high theology. It is not a spirit of religion. It is not some slogan. It is having Jesus always. It is believing and receiving the truth, the crux of God's all-sufficiency, which is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish 
but through him, Jesus gives us all things. You're supposed to say up here, when we bring it in the land. It is funny, it's kind of funny that at the end of our story in John 4, we have no indication that the woman at the well ever actually draws water. Have you ever noticed that? This is kind of crazy. She comes out of her need for water. But after meeting Jesus, she rejoices. And she leaves and she goes and tells all her friends. Her need for Jesus and receiving it, receiving him, was so overpowering, it seems, that she literally forgot her other needs. It does not mean that her needs went away. It doesn't mean she never went to a well ever again. But she knew that she already had the ultimate source to meet all her need. And everything else, everything else paled in comparison to the infinite storehouses of grace, the treasuries of his goodness and her eternal glory with the only all-sufficient one. And then what, what then is our response? First response is to pray. We should pray for our needs to be met. Pray for our neighbor's needs to be met. God loves to do that. We see him do that all the time. Let's do that today. Also, be Jesus' hands and feet. You can meet people's needs. Anthem Church, let's meet needs. But I do want to focus on this third thing, this receiving. Receiving. And I would love it, actually, if the ministry team can come up now. If the ministry team can come up. If you feel like you have needs that aren't being met, if you feel like you have needs, or if you just need to call out to the all-sufficient one, or if, you don't, if you're calling out to him for the first time, thank you, Jesus, let's do that together. And if you're calling out to him for the millionth time, awesome, we are so thrilled to do that with you. Or if you want to experience a relationship with God that actually satisfies you, actually satisfies you no matter what circumstances you're in, please pray where you are. He says that he gives this radical way you can walk, and function and live in this radical way where you can truly and actually be satisfied in Christ in all circumstances. But you do have to receive it. This is a gift. This is not something that can be earned. So please, pray to receive what Jesus promises, and that is, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.